the book of Acts back to Sunday morning. That's currently on Wednesday nights. And then we'll jump into another book on our Wednesday night services. Um, also, want to give an update. VBS went very well. Thank you for all the work that went into that. We had a great week of VBS. We had uh, the first night, we had about 60-some kids. And then the, the next uh, three nights, we had over 70 kids each night. We had an 11-year-old on the, on the very last night uh, making a profession of faith in Christ. And that certainly is what it's all about. But I appreciate all the work and effort that went into that. And I did enjoy being the pastor source. And uh, that, that was enjoyable during that. But Ruth, Ruth chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading there in verse number 1. We're going to read down through 17 verses. Our story now changes gears. And verse number 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? Talking about Ruth. And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitess damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, she was speaking of the foreman, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from this morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go, and, go af, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? When thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath been fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And now hast thou left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not uh, heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. For thou, and, and, thou, and for thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip uh, thy morsel in the vinegar. She sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. She was risen up to glean. Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let some also, and let some also, some of the hand, excuse me, read that again. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them. 
that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out all that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message today. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored in all that is said and done. Please control what I say and how I say it. Pray for your mercy and your grace, Lord, that you would work. Draw us closer to you. Lord, may we see your hand in this text and may it help us. Please meet the needs that are here. Strengthen us, Lord. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who does not truly know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray for that repentance and faith in him. Please bless and may you be glorified. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When we finished last week, we finished up chapter 1. We had Naomi dealing with bitterness setting in. She even told those to call her Mara, bitter. That was affecting her perspective of, of her current circumstances and her current situation. We already looked at the tremendous difficult days that she faced. When she left Bethlehem as a, as a young woman, newly married, heading out, the famine had hit the land, probably during the time of the Midianites. They head to Moab, a strange land. As her sons grow, they marry uh, two of the women there. Of course, her husband dies. And then both of, her, both of her sons die. And she's faced an incredibly, she's had some incredibly difficult circumstances to deal with. Living in a strange land, away from her family, away from what she knows. And then the death of her husband, the leader of her house. The man she loved. It was not the direction she saw her life going. And then the death of her two sons. And then she makes the decision to head back to Bethlehem. But in the midst of trials, as we looked at last week, many times you can get so focused on the trials that it changes your perspective. And it did her. It changed her perspective of the past, as we saw last week. She said how she went away full, but that simply wasn't true. She saw now that she's returning empty. But that wasn't true. She's returning with Ruth. She's returning back to a home that she knows. She's, we see that God has blessed Bethlehem since the famine. And we also see it changed her perspective of her future. She mentions nothing of it. It should have been, as we read in the Psalms last week, she should have been saying, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. So now, when we come into chapter 2, the story changes gears. The focus is no longer Naomi. The focus is now on Ruth. And we have this providential meeting that's going to take place. We are introduced to a new character, Boaz. We're going to look at the start of a beautiful relationship that is taking place. That's ordained of God. We will see kindness and compassion. The beginning of love in a relationship. This relationship is also very much a picture of Jesus Christ and His church. A Gentile bride, if you will. And today what we're going to focus on in these 17 verses, and I think it will be a great help to us, is God's providence at work. So often we suffer and have battles of the mind. Because we fail to see the providence of God in action. 
Again, you've heard me mention it in, in, in illustrations and in, in, in sermons in the past of the mind battle I faced when I was in the Air Force. I'm already on, on, on church staff getting paid. I don't even need the Air Force anymore. And I get a remote assignment to Korea that I can't turn down. Trying every avenue to, to get out of the military at that time. Everything was turned down. Instead of seeing, had I saw this as God's providential hand, I would have had a whole lot more peace. And looking back now to see how God used it, I'm so thankful for His mercy and His grace in me fighting the providential hand of God in my life. We forget the truth of Romans 8.28. I'd failed to see the providence of God. I looked at it purely from a, a, a humanistic, carnal standpoint, what happened, forgetting that God is in control. God was not up in heaven when that assignment hit, saying, man, what a bummer. I'm sorry, but the government controls you. I can't help this. If you would get out of the Air Force, I could direct you. So today, I want us to see God's providence at work. Three things we're going to look at in this text that we're going to break the text down into. In the first seven verses, we're going to see how God's providence pilots our life, directs us. Secondly, we're going to see how God's providence provides. When we're in His will, submitted unto it, it provides. And lastly, we're going to see that it's plentiful. So let's dive into this here. Let's look first at how God's providence pilots our life. Let's look at the first seven verses. It says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth, uh, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Let's stop there. We're introduced to this man of Boaz. To this man Boaz, excuse me. He's identified as a man of great wealth. The word here has many meanings. He clear, clearly was an influential man in Bethlehem. Probably in the, in, the, in the region that was there. The word is also used in different ways in the book of Judges. Remember, this is during the time of Judges. It, it also has, carries the meaning uh, um, of the idea of a war hero. He might have been somebody that was instrumental even when working with Gideon and delivering them from the hand of the Midianites when that famine hit. It also means a man of valor. It is the exact same word used to describe Gideon when he is called that. So this is an important man in town. Perhaps one of the most important men in town. It just so happens that he is a kinsman of Elimelech. Perhaps a cousin, perhaps even a brother. So we see God's providential hand introducing us to this man in Bethlehem. You can see how God has been orchestrating things. Really, think this, he's been orchestrating this for years to put this together. Think what's going to come as a result of this relationship. What God designs to picture, even for us today. The fact that Ruth is going to be in the lineage of his own son. When God becomes a man. We learn God knows exactly what he's doing. Look at verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. 
And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. So Ruth here goes to Naomi, and she says, listen, I want to go to work. Let me go and glean. Well, what is she talking about here? Let's go back to uh, the book of Leviticus. You don't just have to turn there. I will read it quickly. But I'm going to read from two passages in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. I'm going to read Leviticus chapter 19, Leviticus chapter 23, and Deuteronomy chapter 24. So first, Leviticus chapter 19, we're introduced to the law of gleaning. It says in verse 9, not 19, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of the harvest. But it doesn't tell us why yet. We have to get into Leviticus chapter 23 to learn why that was put in place. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse number 22, it says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleanings of thy harvest, uh, thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm going to read one verse here. That's verse 19. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. It says, When thou cuttest down thine harvest in the field, and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. So here we are introduced to the law given about gleaning. It was given to help the poor, to help the stranger. It was something God put in place to help meet their needs. And by the way, it wasn't uh, many of the, uh, 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 a welfare program like we see today. God was allowing even integrity when they were in that place. There's something about working and receiving a reward for it. But God had themes in place for the nation of Israel as they followed God. This will help take care of the poor. Now keep in mind, though, the day that we're in, in Judges. This is not a time of, 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 of uh, great spiritual leadership in the nation. They're going through these cycles. It's a time described for us in the book of Judges when every man did that which is right in his own eyes. That's going to be a player in this. <clears throat> So, I think we also need to understand how it worked when they reaped the fields. So, the, the reapers would head in, the men would head in first. Basically, with the left hand, they'd grab the stalk, the right hand, they'd have a sickle, and they would hit it down, they'd wait until their hands were full, and then they would set that down. And they would continue working the field when it was harvest time. The women would then come behind. The women would come behind and then bind those in the sheaves. They would be bound, and then... Uh, lastly would come into play as far as the reaping process. The carts would come by. They'd be loaded onto the carts and taken to the threshing floor. Then you had your gleaners, the poor, the fatherless, the stranger, who could come in and anything that had been dropped or left behind, it's theirs. So if during the time one of the men, while he is, while he is cutting uh, those stalks and putting them in his hand, if one drops, he was not allowed to pick it up. That was to stay there. That was going to help meet the needs of the poor. All right, and they would continue from there. Or if a sheep was even forgotten about. They weren't allowed to go back and get it. It had to stay there. That would be for the poor to come and glean. That's how this process worked. So what Ruth is asking Naomi, she learned of this and said, can I go glean? What I like about this is that there's several things here we can learn that are very practical for us. She didn't stay idle. 
She just didn't sit down and dwell on the difficult circumstances she was in. She wanted to change things. She wanted it different. She acts. She shows a willingness to get going with her life to make a change. She wants to better her circumstances. And it's important to recognize that in the position she's in, what she sets out to do was not easy. It was, in fact, dangerous. Keep in mind what Israel looks like at this time. It would not always be safe for her. This was during a wicked day. A time when every man was doing that which is right in his own eyes. She is an unmarried woman and a stranger. And she's heading to the fields. There is risk. But she is keeping a proper and positive perspective. And it's helping her push through tough times. Remember James chapter 1, when we went through the book of James a few years ago. And, and as we got into the very first chapter, the second or third message, we dealt with the importance of having proper perspective when trials hit. Brethren, count it all joy. He knew the importance of, of having a proper perspective when you're in the midst of battles, when you're in the midst of trials. Because what did we look at at that time? Remember, we looked at how your outlook determines your outcome. And it does. If you're dwelling on doom and gloom, that's going to end up being your outcome. But if you begin to look at it from a proper perspective, and that's what James was doing. Remember, this is, that was the very first church. It had been scattered. There's, there's no other churches. They're going to be beginning now. James was the pastor, the half of the Lord. He's the pastor of that church. And he said, brother, count it all joy. He knows what he has to do. He knows he has to keep the perspective in place. Proper perspective is always knowing God is there. He is. Just like we said in the book of Psalms, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Brother Tim, who's, we started, of course, our junior church today in connection with the bus ministry, who's over there. His son, who took his life this week. He forgot to hope in God. There's always hope in the Lord. Always. She asked, now notice, this was not suggested by Naomi. It should have been. Naomi does not go to Ruth. If this is her country, her land, she knows the laws. She doesn't think of, she knows she has relatives there. You know, again, she said, call me Mara. For, I mean, she actually believed God was against her. She blamed all of her circumstances on the hand of God. Again, she showed a great belief in the sovereignty of God, but also a misunderstanding of it at the exact same time. In blaming God for things. We often do that. So it is Ruth that goes to Naomi. I also find it interesting. Uh, we don't know the exact ages here. We can try and piece it together just based on that day. But it's interesting that Naomi does not go and glean. As a result of, war, of Ruth acting out, of, of, of making a move, we see God's providential hand at work. I read a, 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 was a, it was a quote of an ancient proverb when I was studying this week. It said this, Providence assists, not the idol. 
Had Ruth just decided just to sit down and wait, guess what? There's no meeting. This, um, which we're getting to look at right now, this meeting of Boaz when their eyes catch, it never happens. Divine, uh, one quote from another commentator, divine appointments don't negate personal initiative. I agree with that. I believe God constantly sets up divine appointments. I can look back in my life, and, and, and I'm not going to do that, but give illustration after illustration of divine appointments in my own life, as many of you could. She happened to go to the field belonging to Boaz. Remember, she doesn't know who this man is. Has no idea. She did not set out to find his field. This is God's direction and God's providence. It's not an accident. This is God at work. He's honoring what her willingness to do right, her commitment when she left her land to say, your God shall be my God. Remember, this is what Boaz is going to recognize. He, and when he finishes that statement of, of, of her summary of, of Ruth's life, what he recognized was this, you decided to trust in God. So we see God's providence piloting Ruth to a divine appointment. To something God has orchestrated. It's not an accident at the time. And there's so much here to think about. Providence of God brings her to the very field of a man who is both gracious, who is qualified to be a kinsman redeemer, and is about to show a whole lot of favor. She had no idea any of this was getting ready to take place. It wasn't like she got insight from somebody. Oh, this is where you need to go. This is not how this, this is all of God. It's amazing how God will work in your life when you simply set out just to honor Him. We learn here for our life that part of the will of God always deals with God's providence. As I just said, you do right before God, humbly serving Him, and He will direct. That's true. Remember, we, I, I remember when we went through the life of Joseph, one of the greatest, there's so many great lessons we can learn of Joseph. Remember, a few weeks ago, I preached one of those messages from a couple of years ago on forgiveness. But that wasn't the only message. One was on the will of God. How we talk about finding the will of God, but we learn here with the example of Ruth and the example of Joseph and throughout the Word of God. The will of God finds you. You don't find it. God is sovereign. He's in control. What you do is you just humble yourself before Him and say, Lord, whatever you want, He'll direct God's providence works. Trust it. You look for those divine appointments in your life. Again, I think when I was getting ready to head off to a Bible college that I strongly disagree with today. At 18, 19 years old, getting ready to head out. And what I thought was more of a financial decision to get money for college from, I have one brother who's older, who had just gotten back and got the GI Bill and just got released. He said, listen, you need to think about that. I go and talk with the Air Force on a Friday, and I am literally in basic training that Monday. I, I hadn't talked to him before. Tell me that's not God. God's providential hand. You know what? I wasn't enthralled. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up thinking, man, I want to be in the military so bad. 
nope. That wasn't me. You know what I wanted to do? Whatever God wanted. And know what he did? He guided, because that was the heart. He guided. It wasn't me seeking what I wanted. All you do is, is desire God, and he will direct. He'll even protect you from you making those bad decisions. Just seek him. Now, think of the meeting. Let's read this. This is just neat. They meet. We have... Let me get back to the book of Ruth here. I don't know. So, now let's look at this meeting. And behold... Don't you love when the Bible has that? You better pay attention. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. As we're going to see, that tells us a lot about Boaz right there. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, this was, this was an earlier conversation with the foreman, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. So we have the meeting. Now here comes Boaz. As he's coming in, the workers know who he is, of course. He's an influential man in Bethlehem. He arrives at his field. The work's already been going on. We're probably, uh, probably about two hours into the day of working. Boaz comes in, and he greets him with this, this uh, 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 sweet greeting, as we just read here, when he says unto them, <clears throat> The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless thee. So he comes in. You can just see the, 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 the reapers waving their hands at him. The greeting, good morning. The Lord be with you. The people know this man has integrity. They know that he's kind. They know that he's gracious. He's created a place where they want to work. Because of his character. He was concerned for their welfare. We see the interaction he has with them. He knows them personally. Because he didn't recognize Ruth. He knows them, per- more than likely he knows them by name. doesn't say that, but it's, it's just by how the, the, the conversation is taking place. It wouldn't surprise me a bit. Notice he doesn't need some union contract needed to make sure his workers are probably taken care of. Sin nature destroys everything, doesn't it? When you're so far away from God and all of a sudden only your self-interest come into play. We also see, I believe, we get, we're going to see a couple of glimpses into how spiritual this man is. And this, of course, is one of them. If you can see a, a, a measure of spirituality, at least by his greeting to his workers. And what this tells me is this is this was the same man, to put it in our day, in our time frame, this is the same man on Monday as he is on Sunday. He's not different. He doesn't come in and play the church game and to be somebody else when he gets to work. It's not put on my church face now, and then when I head out to work, I'm a different person. 
Listen, life is about God. It's not about changing because you come into church. It's being that same person. He's the same on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday as he is on Sunday. Then he comes up to his foreman because someone catches his eye. And that's Ruth. So she's close by. Don't think that's coincidence either. It's part of this divine appointment that she happens to be right there. The foreman is going to explain why she's right there. All right? But she's right there. And Boaz catches, uh, she catches Boaz's eye. I have no doubt that their eyes met for the very first time right before he talks to his foreman about who Ruth is. Now, the foreman's report of who she is is in verse 6 and 7. Uh, he, he tells her in verse 6, it is the Moabitess, the damsel that came back with Naomi. And she, she had a request of him, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Alright? You can see the request that's there. So she came and hath continued, even from morning until now, that she tarried little in the house. So the foreman gives the report. It, it, it appears that what she is asking here is not normal for the gleaners. All right. Now, keep in mind, she's showing a measure of courage by her request. She knows that the little she's going to get from gleaning, she has to take care of not only herself, but also Naomi. She's gleaning for more than just her. There's somebody else involved, and that's Naomi. So she's basically asking permission when those sheaves are still down. Can I head in then? Can I head in quickly behind the women when they finish, tying together? Now, we don't know why the foreman had waited. I mean, she'd been working. He made it clear. By the way, she's a worker. She's still been working and working and working. Maybe he had told her, I I can't grant that as the servant. No, I'm in charge right here. I can't grant it. You would have to wait for the owner of the field to come. So perhaps when she heard everybody waving to Boaz, maybe she walked up near the foreman to see if her request would be honored. Because it's Boaz who responds to it because the foreman did not give her an answer to it. <clears throat> Again, it showed courage. And this is likely it. There's some, there, I, I will say this, when studying that, there were some, I don't know what complications is, in trying to determine what exactly was taking place, why she was there, and what request needed to be granted, especially based upon Boaz's response. So he, he reports on her, lets her know who she is, lets her know how hard she was working. They, I have no doubt, because it was the time of the judges, they, they had some of the same battles we have today that you, you have a lot of people today, where if you work hard and have character and integrity, it's easy to stand out. I, I remember for it was time in the Air Force or even at the steel factory or wherever I was, it, and watching people spending more time trying to get out of work than actually working. And how easy that made it to stand out if you just worked hard. So we have the meeting taking place between Boaz and Ruth. Both of these individuals happen to be full of compassion for others. Both of these individuals have to be people of integrity. 
of kindness. One commentator pointed this out. I like what he said. I'm going to quote him directly. He said, Compassion apart from integrity turns into meaningless uh, sentimentality, sentiment. And integrity apart from compassion becomes proud self-interest. It's a good point. So now, we see God's providential hand piloting all this where she happens to go to the field of Boaz. She happens to be in a place where she can see him and they can meet. And now we come to point two of God's providence, how it provides. Let's look at verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. He's granting her request. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men? They shall not touch thee when thou art athirst, and when thou art athirst, excuse me, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Let's stop there and look at this section. Now we're going to see how God's providence in her life is providing. One, it provided the right opportunity. Boaz, as we see her, grants her request and gives so much more than what she was expecting. He says, not only that, I want you to stay here in my fields. This is your place to work now. Guaranteed work. You can think of the relief that gives her. She's basically granted her the status of, of the first to glean. The favorable gleaner, if you will. She's the one that's going to go in first. She would be right, as he allows her this permission, not coming after her, but to be right with the women who are tying the sheep. She's allowed to be right there. He's showing great favor. She gets first pick, basically, of whatever is dropped. Know what God's providence does? It puts you in places of opportunity to help meet your needs in life. Be ready to take advantage of those. Again, think of Joseph when he stood before Pharaoh. Know what happened? In God's providential hand as he just stayed faithful to the Lord and never allowed bitterness to come in, he found himself in a place of opportunity standing before Pharaoh. And boy, did he take advantage of it. He didn't pout. See, I'm not serving God anymore. I've spent time as, as a slave to an Egyptian in a prison for a crime I didn't commit. He didn't blame God. He trusted Him. And when the opportunity hit, He knew it. Again, when you begin to blame God, allows bitterness to come in, and you miss the opportunities that God's providence gives you. We also see God's providence not only gave opportunity here, but it also gave protection. Again, as I've already mentioned, Ruth showed great courage by going to the fields. She was a Moabite. This is a wicked time in Israel's history. She put herself in danger of being at least ostracized and perhaps even assaulted by men, which I believe we do see happening to a small degree. Four times... And this is why I say that four times Boaz talks about her protection. Four times. Again, based on that wording and who she is, I think it's likely she has already had to endure at least the men yelling out at her, if not some already inappropriately touching her, and now he's protecting her. 
He says, I've given them charge. They're not going to touch you. God's providence brings protection in your life. It brings a sense of peace. Even if you find yourself in a dangerous situation, you can rest in the fact that God is in control. During the years in New Guinea, that was never... We knew we were right where God wanted us. That brings protection. It brings a sense of peace. If, 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 if something happens, it's because God has to allow it. It's not out of chastisement. It's simply out of His will. And He'll give the grace to face whatever happens. God's providence, it gave the right opportunity. It gave protection. It met her needs and even more. She's allowed access in that verse. Think about this. To the same water as his workers. Remember, she's not a hired servant. She's a gleaner. She's with the poor. She's a stranger. What he is doing right here is making her equal to his workers. He's saying, by the way, the water that my servants use, that, they bring from, that the young men bring from the well in Bethlehem, whenever you want it, you get it. Now, I think we have another indication of how spiritual um, Boaz is. I want you to think about this. Because normal, it, normally in this Oriental custom, and in Jewish custom, not by law, it would be, know who would go to get the water? It would not be the men. It would be the women who would serve the men. But notice his wording. He has the men serving the women. I, I just think you see another element of his character, of him having a spiritual understanding of how things work. So as a gleaner here, she is given by Boaz the rights given to his workers. What he's doing right now, now get this, this man is going out of his way now to show kindness. This is above anything she's already expected has just taken place. She has the right as the very first gleaner in. She's going to be right there with, his, uh, uh, um, with, his, with the women who work for him. She's going to be right there. When those workers have their little water station set up, she gets to go there. She knows this is above anything any gleaner ever gets. Now, it's interesting. Ruth, of course, is surprised. That's probably not even a strong enough word. She's shocked by his reaction. Look at her response in verse 10. Then she fell on her face. You can see how close she is to him in proximity when this is taking place. Like I said, it's of God's providence. She's right there. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? She's shocked by his act of kindness. And what she questions here is motive. Why? Why are you doing this? Remember, basically what she's been told thus far has not been good by Naomi. I mean, what she's already had to endure a little bit by working in the field the few hours that she has. She's had a rough life. That's how she's going to view it is through that perspective. She's going to be questioning a lot. So she questions his motive. She knows 
you know, you could just wonder if it passed through her mind. Are there strings attached to his kindness? Why is he doing this? But Boaz goes on to tell her how he knew her story. That he had already heard of her. Of her leaving her father and her mother, her land that she knew, to become a stranger in Israel. Showing kindness and supporting Naomi. Knowing she had lost her husband and making the decision to trust in God. Boaz found somebody who was genuine with her faith. Now, it's amazing that Boaz is not married up to this point, or if he was, he was widowed. But boy, as this woman Ruth caught his attention. He prays for her, acknowledging her trust in God, using a phrase, by the way, that we see in the law. Ruth is just overwhelmed by this kindness. She said in verse 13, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thy handmaidens. She believes him. She knows the motives are pure and right. This interaction here leads to more, our last point. How God's providence is plentiful in our life. Verses 14 through 17. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither and eat of the bread, and dip the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let, some, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, that she may glean them, and, rebu- and rebuke her not. So here is, he, he invites her into lunch. She's sitting right with the workers. He reaches his hand into the food and gives it to her. Amazing what we have to take. What we're seeing here is God's providence is certainly as plentiful in our life. Boaz has already shown great kindness, great compassion. He's already shown love. And he goes much further. So clearly during lunch, they have a lunch hour. They all come in to eat and get refreshed before they head out back to the fields to work. And he invites Ruth to say, listen, you're coming to the worker's table. Not just any. He's at his table. You know what that tells me? This guy wants to be around her. He wants to be around her. You can already see the beginning of this relationship. I think there's several things that he liked. I, I think number one was the fact of, uh, of she was genuine with her faith. She was real. She was showing courage. She showed compassion and kindness. She made a genuine decision for God, which during this time of Israel, many lacked. She sits at the table. Could you imagine when the other, when the, his servants, the actual hired servants, the workers, if you will, the employees are there. The gleaner comes in. A stranger from Moab sits down. The owner of the field, one of the, one of the most influential men in Bethlehem, he serves her. You better believe everybody took notice of that. That was noticed. 
That would be quite the gesture on his part. He's now lavishing grace upon her. He's showing love. This is more than generosity. This is more than just kindness now. This is the start of a relationship. And at this point, he's showing at at what position he can for who he is. He's maintaining integrity and character. And for the position he's in, he's showing grace and love as he can. You know how often I see people wanting to go beyond that? Now, how often I want to see people that go beyond something that's right and something that's moral. He stays within the realms that he can do and that's right. I love the fact that he's at her table. Again, it shows he wants to be around her. Boaz doesn't stop there. He's not done yet. I believe by, by the reading of the text, I'm not certain of this, she was the first one up to go back to work. She gets up, and she heads back to the fields. Boaz then instructs his workers. (laughs) I mean, he's going out of his way. And we're going to see, the Bible tells us the results of this day. It it is amazing. Wait wait, wait till I get there. He said, you let her glean among the sheaves and reproach her not. Because that's what they would do. If they weren't off the ground yet and some gleaners were coming up, they would be reproved. No, not yet. You wait for us to come and cart them away. Then you come and glean. Remember, that's what she was asking. I want to glean among the sheaves. And he instructs instructs the workers, don't reproach her. But he goes further. Because remember, they're all here. We don't know who all is. It might have just been the three of them present when he gave, when he was having the conversation with with, uh, Ruth and the foreman. So anyhow... He says, and on top of that, the colon's there. He says, I'm not done yet. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and and rebuke her not. He's going above and beyond. She heads out. He tells his workers. This is going to be, I think primarily the women will also be some of the men though. He says, listen, when you're putting this together, you drop some. You make sure she has plenty. Don't you dare go back and pick it up. Remember, this is a time this is where they wouldn't wasn't allowed. This is a time when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This is these are not people that are spiritually minded. Boaz is. I mean, incredible. She now has access to the best grain, choice, to plenty. God's providence is working in her life. Look at the last verse. So she gleaned in the field until even and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Now, to understand how much she ended up with that day. To have a great, great, great day. Not an average day. To have a great day, you would leave with one to two pounds. On a great day, she's leaving with 30 pounds. That's how much she has. 30 pounds. That's why you're going to see Naomi be like, whoa. whoa. 
This, by the way, I want you to think about this, is such a great picture of law and grace at work. Being a Moabite brought a lot of prohibition in Deuteronomy chapter 23. They weren't allowed in. She would be disqualified from a lot. But with God, there's also grace. I'm going to read from a commentator on this. I couldn't say it better than he could. He said this. God, in His grace, reaches out to those who have no natural right to His blessing and no natural access to His throne. There is no breach of law, no injustice at all in the way that God saves. By nature, we are excluded from the covenant community, but in the death of Christ, God has upheld His law and put honor on it. God's law forbids entrance into His presence, but the inviting of grace sounds forth through the gospel. It is a gospel proclaiming a finished work, a work that paid the debt of all who placed their hope, their hope in Christ Jesus. But we're seeing that picture of law and grace right here with Boaz's actions. As we're humbly serving God, we have His providence in our life. It, it gives us those the plentiful in our life, more than we'll ever imagine. We see God working here. It was not a coincidence Ruth happened to be on Boaz's field. It was not a coincidence they happened to meet when he came up. It was not, an in, it was not coincidence that he instantly had care for her, at the very least. We can see how God works in our life as we just humble ourselves and desire to serve Him. Desire to follow Him. He will pilot. Is that not what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 teaches us? Will He not pilot when we just acknowledge Him? He will. Will He not provide, as the Bible tells us in Matthew six thirty three, if we'll just follow Him? Is that not what the principle of Matthew 6.33? Will it not be plentiful? Is that not what we see in Ephesians 3.20? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. The principles we're seeing Boaz apply to Ruth. God's working in her life providentially are the same principles we see throughout Scripture. The devil wants to confuse your mind and get you battled in your circumstances instead of realizing God is in control. Trust His providential hand. Your responsibility is simple. Just desire God. Be genuine. Be real. Just say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. Trust His guiding hand. He's in control. And the greatest thing that God has provided for us as I close is salvation. You need to think about that today. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Before we go into invitation, I want you to think about this. This message was for Christians, those who have been converted. If you were to die right now, what would happen to you? Because death, death it literally means separation. It's when your soul separates from your body. That's when you're dead. At that moment, that's death. That soul is going to one of two places. The Bible tells us it is appointed and wants to die, but after this, the judgment. You will stand before God one day and He will judge you. You will not be able to say to God, you and I had our own thing worked out, God. It's okay. 
God, you saved me from that car accident. I'm good to go. That's not how this is going to work. You know what he's going to do? The Bible tells us exactly what's going to happen. He is going to open up his law and he's going to judge you. He is going to show you where you broke his law. All of us have. That presents a horrible, horrible problem for us. Because we would be found guilty at that judgment. And 100% of those found guilty are cast in the lake of fire. Revelation 20 and 21. Something has to happen when you stand before God in judgment where you look perfect. You need a redeemer. Just like Ruth did. God understood that. That for him, in order to save you, you have to look perfect. And so through God's love and grace... Because we were condemned under the law, God became a man. Referred to in Scripture as the second Adam. That second Adam, though, lived the perfect life. The only one in all of human history that could stand before the Father at judgment. He could say, you are innocent. The only one. Now get this. This is what's great about this. This is where he lavishes grace and kindness and compassion. And does more than we ever could have hoped for. He lived that perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, the Bible says this, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When he went to the cross, what he did was this. Here was, here was, here was this book that God has that's judging your life all the times you've broken his law. Here it is, your name and, and everything, every single reason why you are guilty. But here's another book. This book's name up top is Jesus Christ, and he's perfect. There's no sin here. Not one. Only righteousness. The Bible, again, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's teaching what happened on the cross. What happened on the cross is this, is you can take Christ's name and remove it, And place it over here. You can remove your name. And place it over here. You can switch the names. For he hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you switch those names. Guess what? You look perfect. That's God's love and grace in order to save you from judgment. And if you'll repent and place your faith in Christ, He will save you. For by grace are you saved through faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed.